The following program is recorded content created by The Truth Network. Are you ready to have your spirit lifted? How about a little joy? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. How about some more encouragement? How about some more uplifting of your spirit? How about some more of the Word of God to point us in the right direction so rather than being pulled down by the press and despair and darkness of the day in which we live, we can be lifted up by looking at the Lord. Hey, friends, welcome to the broadcast. This is Michael Brown, and here's the number to call to get on the broadcast, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. You can call in today with any question on any subject. We'll try to get to some calls a little later in the show. Any subject you want to talk to me about, feel free to call in. You've got a bone to pick with me. Same number, 866-348-7884. Let me tell you how I got over to this topic of joy today and why I want to specifically encourage your spirit with the joy of the Lord today. I, I often pray about God's purpose for my life in ministry. I spend many hours seeking him that I can do everything he's called me to do for his glory and for the accomplishment of his purpose in this world while I have breath. And, and I, I run my race so as to win, according to 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, meaning that at the end of my life, God can say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I trust that's your heart as well, if you know the Lord, that at the end of your life, you want to hear that from the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. So, so we've got this precious time on the radio every day. This precious time as you're watching online or listening by podcast. And, and to me, it's a sacred time. Uh, to me, it's important that we accomplish what we're supposed to during this time. Some days, that's just answering your questions, like on Fridays. Some days, it's with a special Israel focus, like the Jewish Thursday. Some days, it's by looking, excuse me, at what's happening in the culture around us or trying to sort our way through the, the political structures and, and controversies and get God's mind and wisdom in the midst of it. But, but I know, as I've said repeatedly, that my calling is not to be a talking conservative head or a political pundit, but rather to be a gospel-based servant speaking to culture, speaking to politics, speaking to the difficult things around us. I recently published an article on Daily Wire explaining why my emphasis is first spiritual, then moral, then cultural, then political. That's, that's my orientation. That's how I approach things. And as we're living in swirling controversies in America, as we're living in a time when emotions are really running high and when violence could just break out at any moment and someone disgruntled with the government or with the system or with Christians or with non-Christians or with Muslims or with Jews or whoever could just take to all kinds of acts of violence. So I'm asking myself, okay, what's, what's my role? How can I serve at this moment? How can I help you? How can I be your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity at a time like this? So last night, uh, a time when I normally will, will give myself to writing, I was sitting at my computer and I was praying, Lord, is there anything on your heart tonight that you want me to address? Is there anything you want me to write? Now, I don't claim that every article I write is written at the direction of the Lord. I, I do my best to follow his leading, 
but I'm not making that claim. I'm certainly not claiming that what I write is divinely inspired. Every article is divinely inspired. Still, I'm his servant, and we're supposed to weigh our words carefully, and therefore, I'm not just going to write to write. Okay, it's one thing if I'm working on a book. It's one thing if it's a project I'm editing, but I'm not just going to assume time to write another opinion. Who cares about my opinion, right? So I was praying about it, and I was thinking about writing about things I talked about on the air yesterday, the state of America, are we, are we getting better? Are we getting worse? What, what things are improving? What things are getting worse? How do we assess things? How should we look at, at where we're living today in terms of the end times? I was thinking about writing in that way, and I stepped back. I, I just wasn't sure. And I started looking at a manuscript a friend had sent me. It, it's, it's, I, I can't tell you more about the book, but it's going to be an amazing book when it comes out. And in it, there was a section about the growth of Pentecostal Christianity worldwide. And it's quite exceptional. It's, it's quite mind-boggling. In fact, let me read a few things to you. Uh, Alan Anderson, who's Emeritus Professor of Mission and Pentecostal Studies at the University of Birmingham, England, wrote in 2013, worldwide, the number of Christians has doubled in 40 years, from 1.1 billion in 1970 to 2.2 billion in 2010. In Africa, it was estimated that Christians exceeded Muslims for the first time in 1985, and Christians are now almost the majority. A phenomenon so epic-making that Lamin Sana describes it as, quote, a continental shift of historic proportions. There are now over four times as many Christians as Afri in Africa as there were in 1970, and almost the same is true in Asia, while the Christian population of Latin America over this period has almost doubled. This is from his book, To the Ends of the Earth, Pentecostalism and the Transformation of World Christianity. So what's the driving force behind this extraordinary growth? Anderson points to the worldwide Pentecostal charismatic movement, noting that the most frequently quoted statistics of the growth of this movement, quote, are those of Barrett and Johnson, who estimated that Pentecostalism had some 614 million adherents in 2010, a quarter of the world's Christian population, which they projected would rise to almost 800 million by 2025. This figure was placed at only 67 million in 1970. And this enormous, enormous increase has coincided with Europeans, Europe's secularization zenith. So Europe getting more and more secular, more and more unchristian, more and more anti-Christian, as Christianity is growing worldwide at an exponential pace, especially Pentecostal charismatic Christianity. That's the great bulk of the growth worldwide. So Anderson asks the question, why? How do we explain this growth? Well, there are many factors, but according to Anderson, one of them is infectious enthusiasm. And this is what my friend, Professor Gerald McDermott wrote. There is joy in most Pentecostal gatherings and joy attracts. People often feel fear and despair, but seeing joy from the apparent presence of the spirit causes many to want that experience. Ah, so I, I read those words and it jumped. Joy is contagious. I've got an article on that. Go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, and check out the article I wrote on contagious joy. And I thought, that's, that's what I'm going to write on. I am not going to write an article right now on the culture, on politics. I'm going to write an article on joy. 
Psalm 16, in his presence is fullness of joy. Whoa. Nehemiah 8, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Paul's exhortation, writing from prison to the Philippian believers. What, is, what does he say? What does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then he says it again, rejoice. And then again, rejoice. And, and, and what does it say in Psalm 22? That God inhabits or sits enthroned on the praises of his people. So as we praise him and adore him, his presence is there. In his presence is fullness of joy. And that joy is our strength. And that joy is contagious. And that joy transcends circumstances. And that joy transcends darkness. In fact, it, it shines like light in the darkness. It's, it's like a flare sent up in a dark place and people see it and people are drawn to it. I, I read a quote by one of the Puritans many years ago where he said, just like we don't like living in a dark house, that God does not like living in a, a melancholy, depressed person. Now, the, the quote was not criticizing someone that struggles with chronic depression and, and is, is, wants to get out of it but doesn't know how. No, no. It was rather saying that the people who make the choices to just focus on what's wrong and focus on what's bad and focus on the negative and you're caught up in all the world, everything that's wrong and bad, that God does not enjoy living inside of that person. Whereas the person... It was, it was not just an optimist, because optimism can be foolish. Optimism can be denial. Optimism can be sticking one's head in the sand. That, that when, when someone believes God, and because they believe God, they have hope, and that hope radiates to others, that, that's the kind of person you want to be around. Come on. Just think about this for a minute. You got one person. That whenever you talk to them, like, yeah, look at what's wrong here. Look at what Trump did. Look at what Biden did. Look at that. That's just wrong. You know, my church, they got everything wrong. Here. This preacher, he's just off. Would you rather hang out with that person if you need some encouragement, if you need your faith built, if, if, if you need some holy positivity in your life? In other words, word-based positivity. Would you rather hang around with that person? Or the person when you get around and they say, you know, God is so good. He is amazing. He is so faithful. You know, we just, we were going through a really financially hard time, but we just determined last night, we're not going to complain. We're going to worship. And I tell you, it changed the whole attitude. No, I've been reading this in the word today and it is such a blessing. Who do you want to be around? Who, who brings life to you? Who brings encouragement to you? Who brings hope to you? I, I have found in my own life that, that when there is this, overwhelming confidence of God's love for me. And it's something I, I live with all the time, but it's sometimes in a very intense way, sometimes in, in a way that it's just like supernatural wind in my sails, that, 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 that deep confidence of God's love and God is with me and his will will be accomplished and his purposes will come to pass and light will triumph over darkness. And, and the promises he's made to me personally will be fulfilled. The, the joy that comes out of it, the, the godly energy and vitality that comes out of it, the encouragement I can bring to others 
and how I, I could speak to a large crowd of people and, and that joy and that faith inside of me just spreads to them. I hope it's spreading to some of you now based on who God is, based on the promises of his word, based on his faithfulness, based on his track record. It's contagious. People grab hold of it. It's life-changing. We come back. I want to tell you one of the most amazing joy of the Lord stories in my life. All right? I'm going to try to squeeze it all in in the next segment and then give you some practical principles as to how to walk in the joy of the Lord. We'll take your calls as well. 866-34-TRUTH. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to the broadcast. Let me grab something. Yeah, yeah. My newest book, The Political Seduction of the Church. We've got copies ahead of everybody else. You can go to our website right now, askdrbrown.org, and still get first edition signed numbered copy sent to you just signed a bunch more today can't wait to get them out to you so you'll get this well ahead of everybody else go to the website now ask drbrown.org an eye-opening book that will help you put your trust in the gospel like never before all right <clears throat> so <laughs> years back went to italy with a team ministered there a number of times before went to Italy with a team and some of the team left to go back to the States ahead of the rest of us. And then others stayed on. So the ones that stayed on my wife, Nancy, our older daughter, Jennifer, dear friend, Brad who was a worship leader with the Lord now. And then uh, two young moms with their babies. So that's, that's who stayed along for the rest of this trip. So we, we, we end up with a delay. We're, we're in Sicily. The plane's ready to go. It's really early in the morning. We've barely slept at all. Plane is ready to go. Some of the team has sent some of their luggage ahead with, with others. And anyway, we've got everything. We're ready to go. We're on the plane. And we sit for almost an hour. We had to wait for more passengers. They came on. If they were not mafia, I've never seen mafia. Anyway, by the time we get to the airport in Rome, we've missed our connection to the States. And we're sitting around for hours. And, okay, they're going to put us on another plane. And then this plane is going to connect at Kennedy Airport. And then from there, it's, it's going to take us back to Maryland, Virginia area where we lived. And, and okay, okay, so we're, it's been a long day. It's been hours. And now the, the babies, they're, they're, a little <clears throat> cough, cold, you know, they, they seem to be getting a little bit run down. The mothers, you know, the young mothers with babies, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's a long day. It, it, and it's freezing cold. Uh, we, it, it happens to be Nancy's birthday, November 30th. And we, we now get into uh, to Kennedy Airport, right? We're, we're tired. We're, 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 but, you know, just chilling. We got hours to chill. And then we have to go over to another terminal. And then from there, catch our flight back. So the flight from Rome to, to Kennedy Airport, all good, no problem. 
Okay. So we, um, but we're worn out. So, hey, it's Nancy's birthday. I'll get some like custard or yogurt, whatever, at the at the airport. And okay, so it's a long walk over there. And Jen comes back. Her daughter at one point we didn't give them the right change, enough money, and let's go back. And everyone just sitting around eating their their yogurt cones, ice cream cones, whatever it was. And suddenly we're like, whoa, wait a wait a second, wait a second. We we're gonna be late now. We gotta hurry and get over to the other terminal. So we we go outside, it's freezing cold. It's absolutely freezing cold. And um the buses are completely overfilled. And so there's a long line of people in front of us waiting for the bus to, to go around to the other part of the airport to get to the other terminal. I think I can't believe it that we, we were there all those hours just killing time and now we're gonna be late. Now we gotta run the last thing we wanted to do. And because we had checked some of their other luggage, we had extra carry-on luggage with us and so on to, to help accommodate whatever the deal was. So we got loaded down with extra stuff and we can't get on the bus. Someone tries to bribe the driver. Come on, let people on. And they're ahead of us and they can't get on. And we realize by the next time the next bus cut and gets off, we're never going to get on it. So one of the, one of the folks says, wait, there, I can see the terminal. It's over there. So we said, let's run. So we're, ca we're carrying car seat for the baby. We're, uh, we're just overwhelmed with luggage. And, and now we're running through the parking lot. Okay. I'm with Jen running through the parking lot, climbing over barriers to try to get to this thing. It's like a half mile away. And suddenly the joy of the Lord hits me for no good reason. In the freezing cold and kind of the absurdity of the moment, the joy of the Lord hits me. And I just start with, with Jen, our, our older daughter. She was, I don't know if she was a teenager at that point. I just start shouting. We're in the parking lot. I just start shouting praises. Thank you, Lord. You're good. You're, I, I am overflowing with holy joy for no good outward reason and completely overflowing and, and shouting praises to God. And Jen's looking like, Dad, are you crazy? Just Now the critical, like, what in the world is going on? So we climb over this. Now we, we, we get to the place we're not that far away. But there's like a wall. You can't, you can't walk there. You, you have to drive. And we're, so we're standing literally in the road, in the, in the airport road, with our luggage at a light. And, and, and there, there's an Orthodox Jewish man sitting there. And, and I, I look at him and, can you help us? And he just looks at me. So I ask him in Hebrew, can, can you help us? And my modern Hebrew is much better then than it is now. So I explained to him, I said, the flight's late and we got mother's baby's sick and could you drive him over? So he just nodded, didn't say a word, just nodded. Now, religious Jew is not supposed to be alone with another woman. Well, here it was Nancy and, and our daughter Jen and the two young moms with babies. And so they drive off and, and anyway, we just, now we're, they drive off we're in the middle of the road. A police car comes up, police woman. She looks at us and goes, look, we, we got, there was a flight delay in, in Sicily because that we're, we're late for the flight from Rome. We, we missed our connection. We're here. We, we, we got to get over to the connection here at, at, at American. And, 
and and um, it, it, we just got an Orthodox Jewish man. He just he took, took the wives and the ladies. Could, could you help us? She just nods. Seriously, I'm not exaggerating a single word. Get in the car. So Brad and I get in the car. She makes this U-turn, cuts across the other line. He goes, "Is it American or American Eagle?" I said, uh, "American." She goes, "Okay, that's over here." Drops us off. I say to Brad, "You run. You go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna go because the ladies are already there. I got to go get the rest of the things checked in." I'm totally sweaty at this point because we've been running outside the cold. We're now hot with the winter clothes and all this. So Brad runs ahead. Brad runs ahead. I'm sure the ladies are already there, right? So. I, I go through the whole thing and explain what's happening. They said, oh, you want American Eagle? That's all the way at the other end of the terminal. Just go. Go for it. So I go running, okay? And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to miss the plane. They're all there. They're, they're waiting for me. And and I don't have my I, my ticket because I gave everything to Brad to run ahead of me. So I don't have my stuff. So I get to security. God is my witness. I get to security. I said, oh, here's what happened. I said, we, we, we delayed. There was a flight in, in Italy. We, we got delayed there. We, we came over here, got an orthodox tree, helped the, the ladies, the babies to say, hey, drove them over to the terminal here. Uh, my, my friend went ahead of us. Hey, can, can you help? Uh, police, we got a personal police escort to come over here. They just nod. They let me through. I get to the gate. I'm the only one there. The orthodox Jewish guy had to make another stop. So he just left them in his running car while he went into another terminal to take care of something. Brad realized that he had put some of his ID, whatever, whatever he needed, he had put that in a, in a bag that got checked in instead of carry-on. With the confusion here, they didn't let him through. <laughs> I got through. I get to the gate, and they said, there's a delay on your flight. And I smiled. I said, that's because of me and our folks. So the ladies finally made it over. Brad had to go actually to find his luggage, which they were able to locate and get his whatever he needed to, to get through. And then we, we get on the plane and the flight attendant says, I'm a little nervous because it's the pilot's first flight. We're like, what? And he goes, oh, no, no, no. I mean, I mean, my first flight is a flight attendant. Sorry. And then literally there was on the outside of the plane. We saw some some of his duct tape that was that was holding something together. I, I kid you not. But we got home safe and sound, and it was that was my most remarkable traveling experience, and one of those times where, for inexplicable reasons, joy comes, and it was that joy that carried me through. We know Paul and Silas in in a prison in Philippi. We we know what happened there. Severely flogged. I've never been flogged, let alone severely flogged. It must be agonizing. And remember, they're in some pit, some filthy pit, and they're, they're shackled. So who knows what creatures are biting their wounds or crawling in. And they begin at midnight, and this is for the faith, though, right? They begin singing praises to God. And what happens? Earthquake comes, sets them free. I heard Pastor Jack Hayford, himself a white brother, saying that he heard a black brother preaching about this one time and that the word of God says that heaven is God's throne and the earth is his footstool. And when God heard the music that he liked, he started tapping his foot on the footstool and an earthquake came. He was just having fun in his preaching. But that joy, that praise literally liberated them. Here's what you do. Meditate on the promises of God. Speak out 
what the word says about the character of God. Determine no matter what's going on, I'm going to lift my eyes, I'm going to worship, I'm going to praise, I'm going to give thanks. Maybe put on some, some praise music. In fact, we're, we're going to do that in a little while. Uh, put on some music that lifts your spirit. And, and determine, I'm going to worship, I'm going to worship. And, and as you do, you, you may start to feel yourself flooded with joy. I assure you, if you do this consistently, your attitude, your mindset, your outlook will change. Light shining in the darkness. Friends, I hope this is encouraging you today. That's, that's why we're here. We're going to take some calls when we come back and then encourage you more and even take you into some joy-filled worship. Stay right here. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know what scripture says that a, a merry heart does good like medicine, right? The joy of the Lord is our strength. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. So we weep, we grieve, we feel pain, we feel burdened. And then we rejoice and we praise and we celebrate. These are both aspects of our lives in the Lord and both healthy and important aspects. But, but some of us just want to put our head in the sand and try to deny human suffering. And, and well, that's not realistic and that's not helpful. Others of us just so morbid and focused on what's wrong that, that we get out of balance in another way. That's unhelpful as well. So let joy encourage you. Let joy lift you. Let it be that contagious thing that draws others. We're going to take you into some services in a little while just to, to illustrate this for you. But as we're here every day to infuse you with faith and truth and courage, joy brings courage. When, when, when you are full of despair, it saps your courage. When you're full of joy walking with God, whoa, Makes you courageous. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. I'm going to take a couple of calls, and then we'll go back to joy. Uh, Martin in Dallas, Texas, welcome to the line of fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown. You're welcome. Uh, I've been uh, listening to your um, program for around five years now. This is my first time to call in. All right. Thank you. And... Um, I've actually have quite a, quite a few questions, but I'm just going to keep it to one today. I've been collecting them over the years. Um, my question today is regarding Isaiah chapter nine, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I guess the the question first of all, just I'll articulate the question and then give a little bit of context. Um, the question is, what is the Jewish interpretation of Isaiah nine? And the follow up question is, and why is it not quoted by early Christians? And um, the second part of that question, I guess I just haven't noticed uh, it being referenced in the New Testament or uh, with the apostolic fathers, that, at least the ones that I've read. So I guess, um, so the reason for the question is, is I feel that 
from my understanding, like a, a, a very um, simplistic reading of the chapter, um, has some pretty um, uh, intense implications regarding the the Messiah. If it, mm-hmm. if it is talking about the Messiah uh, as being called, uh, you know, what is it? Uh, wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Yep. All right. So, uh, so yeah. yeah go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I guess. Um, my on my father's side, uh, my grandfather is Jewish, so I wasn't raised Jewish. I was raised Christian, um, but I am familiar with the with kind of the Jewish uh, debate. Uh, and so, I guess I just wanted to hear what your thoughts on uh, that chapter is, what the rabbinic, uh, you know, yep, yep. Uh, commentary on it would be, and then and then um, I guess, and I could be wrong about this, but I haven't noticed a direct quote. Um, from the New Testament or mm-hmm. from uh, early Apostolic Fathers yes, regarding sir. that chapter. All right. Okay, great, thank you. Great series of questions. Now, if you've collected a bunch of them, if you call every five years, it may take a while to get them answered. So we don't allow people to call within a few weeks of, of calling in, to be fair to other callers, but you don't need to wait five years. Okay. Um, if you go to my website, realmessiah.com, realmessiah.com, you will find many, many of these questions answered already. So go there, uh, look at uh, the objections, and then you'll scroll down Messianic Prophecy and find this. All right. Jewish interpreters either read this with reference to Hezekiah and downplay some of the language, either by reading the syntax differently that the one who is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, will call him Prince of Peace, which is an unlikely way to read the Hebrew, or downplaying the words mighty God to, to just say that's like a warrior hero, or some uh, modern tr- Jewish translations, one in particular, sees it as a long sentence that, that, the wonderful, uh, that, that the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, is planning peace. It's, 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 uh, that's not the exact quote. Uh, so those who read it with regard to Hezekiah, and there'll be no end of righteousness and things like that, see it as... Speaking of him in hyperbolic terms, in very high and exalted terms, but they would say, look, it's a prophecy that takes place with the downfall of Assyria and therefore speaks of Hezekiah. Uh, Other Jewish interpreters understand it as a prophecy about the Messiah, but as I said, we'll, we'll read the titles differently. So some do understand it to be messianic, uh, going back to the Targum, the, the ancient Jewish translation paraphrase of the scriptures. So, there are clear messianic reference within the Talmud. There's even a, mess, a claim uh, in Jewish literature in the Talmud that, that God intended to make Hezekiah the Messiah, but he, for other reasons, he, he didn't. So Jewish interpreters would either say it's Hezekiah or the Messiah and would downplay the significance of those titles. Uh, the New Testament clearly has this in mind. How do I know it? Well, in, in Matthew 1, Jesus, uh, Matthew quotes from 714, the famous virgin birth prophecy filled with controversy of interpretation there, right? Then, at the end of the second chapter, he mentions the prophets, plural, talking about uh, Jesus being a, Nazar- a, a Nazarene, someone from Nazareth, but he says prophets, plural, he's not talking about anyone. And he's most likely talking about the prophecies about the lowliness and obscurity of the Messiah, as well as Isaiah 11.1, first and foremost, which says he will be a netzer. He'll just be a shoot or a branch. So he has that in mind. And then in the fourth chapter, 
What does Matthew cite? The people living in darkness have seen a great light. So he's quoting from the beginning of this chapter. So Matthew clearly has in mind Isaiah 7 through 11, this whole messianic unfolding. He clearly has it in mind. As to the church fathers quoting it, I am not sure. I do know the Septuagint reads things differently, and so the Greek-speaking fathers would have seen something different than mighty God. Therefore, they would not have referenced it in that way because the Septuagint comes up with a different interpretation of those words. That being said, can we make a strong case that is messianic? Absolutely. The Messiah was seen as coming on the immediate horizon of history by the prophets. So the fall of Assyria with the rise of the Messiah, these things would be seen. And yes, the Hebrew is past tense. A child is given to, uh, born to us, a, a son is given to us. Uh, so it's, that's the way it's commonly translated. But in Hebrew, it's past, has been born, has been given. But that would be called the prophetic perfect. The prophets are seeing it as if it already happened. We have uh, other cases like that in the Hebrew Bible that the rabbis recognize as well. And I believe the names are significant. Many scholars point to e- Egyptian throne names where the pharaoh upon assume, assuming the throne would be given five titles here this could be taken as as, uh, as six titles uh, others would divide it as four but either way I, I do not believe we can downplay the significance of mighty god especially when in isaiah 10 21 it explicitly refers to yahweh as mighty god so it's a very important messianic prophecy it's one that does point to the divine nature of the messiah it's one that i believe matthew clearly has in mind in his uh, citing from, from Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, and Isaiah 11, telling us, hey, I'm looking at this whole thing. Interpret Isaiah 7, 14 in its connection to the larger context here. So that's how I read it, understand it. And if you go to the website, uh, realmessiah.com, and search under objections, you'll find more on this as well. Or uh, you can also look at my refutations of counter-missionary rabbis, where I get into this prophecy from some other angles as well. So you'll find those resources right there on the Real Messiah website. Hey, Martin, thank you for the call. Much appreciated. Uh, Let's go to Maryland. Gabriel, welcome to the line of fire. Oh, thank you very much for taking my call. Sure thing. So my question is about 1 Samuel 17, 40. Mm -hmm. David taking five smooth stones from the stream in order to kill Goliath. Um, my belief, the conclusion that I've reached, and uh, I'd like to get your opinion on it, is that the five smooth stones represent the five cities of the Philistines mentioned in First Samuel 6. Mm-hmm. I've heard Vernon McGee say that it represents the uh, Goliath and his four brothers, um, but the verse that references their deaths doesn't specifically mention that they were stoned with slings. Correct. Stones. Um, so so is the reason that you're looking for them to represent something because you're asking why David would take more than one stone if he's going out to battle? I was unsatisfied with the explanation that, um, that it was because he felt uncertain. Yeah. That didn't seem in his character for me. Got it. Okay, so Gabriel, I appreciate the question. Uh, if you're going to make an argument for five, 
and you want to say the, the five cities of the Philistines, uh, Ashdod, the Ashkelon, Gaza, etc., that if, if that's what he has in mind and it's symbolic of taking out all the five, uh, you can obviously read it in that way. Honestly, I never read anything into it. According to the New Jewish Publication Society version, five is just a Hebrew way of saying a few. All it means is he grabbed a few stones. And in my mind, even if it was five, he just grabbed a handful of stones, he's going out with absolute confidence he's taking Goliath down. Maybe the first shot, he may miss one, but he knows he's coming down. So it, it, it would be like this. Uh, it, it would it be, think of it like this. There is a tank coming at you, right? And, and you just have a, a pistol, right? No, no, you have a BB gun. And, and you fill that BB gun, you're going to take out that tank. Well, you're not thinking, I might miss, right? I'm going to need all eight shots. No, you're, you know it's completely impossible in the natural for you to take out a tank with a BB gun. I don't care if you got one BB in there or 100 BBs in there. You're not taking that tank out. But, you know, I'm going to take this tank out because God's with me. So in my view, David knowing, hey, I got a warrior here. And in the natural, he's going to crush me. In the natural, he's seen sling stones before. He's seen every kind of weapon. He just puts a shield up. He's, I'm going to take this guy down with a slingshot and a few stones. So I don't personally see it as symbolic of anything, in my own view. I don't need to think of the brothers or the other cities, although I appreciate you thinking of five and thinking of the five cities. But in my mind, it's not uncertainty. It's like, this guy's coming down. God's with me. He's coming. I'm just going to grab a few stones, my slingshot, and take down this massive giant warrior who should be able to crush me a hundred times over a slingshot or not so it's not uncertainty like a faith in my mind it's just hey this is how he's coming down this is a slingshot and some stones but thank you sir for the call and your reflection come back for some more joy on the other side of the break The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Where there is repentance, there is joy. Where sinners are getting right with God, there is joy on the earth as sins are forgiven. There is joy in heaven. Was it in Luke 15? Joy over one sinner that repents more than 99 righteous people who need to repent because they've already repented. So in the midst of the Brownsville revival, as we worship the Lord, joy would break out. There was repentance every service. There were often tears, people sometimes crying out before God, convicted of sin, pastors on their knees repenting, mockers coming in, getting wonderfully saved. And that meant that there was great joy in the worship and that there was plundering the enemy's camp. So I, I want to take you into this one, Awake America, when we went out on the road and did worship together. And as we're talking about joy, I want to bring some joy in your home here. It's a few minutes. We're going to sit back and worship. Those watching, you can see the celebration in front of your eyes. Probably about 25 years ago. Let's worship and rejoice together. Well, I went. 
Look at what the Lord has done. Boy, my heart is flooded with joy. And it's so scriptural. Praise Him with the cymbal. Praise Him with the drums. Praise Him with the dance. That everything has breath. Praise the Lord. Friends, I've even seen the joy of the Lord break out in a memorial service. In fact, got a couple minutes left. Let's, let's do this. I was there at David Wilkerson's memorial service, privilege of being invited because of my history there and, and to honor this great man of God. I hadn't been in Times Square Church in quite a few years, and I had all these old memories of the sacred times we had as I preached there many times in, in the early to mid-90s. And, and here is a glorious service, tribute to this man of God, lifting up Jesus, very uh, powerful worship and adoration of the Lord. And then we just close with extended worship. And I remember asking myself, I wonder if they're going to move into joy and celebration. And sure enough, at this extended time of worship with which we all put our focus on the Lord in memory of this man of God, just look to the Lord. This is what started to break out in the midst of a memorial service for David Wilkerson at Times Square Church. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, right before the broadcast started, literally minutes before the broadcast started, I got some really tragic news. I mean, really tragic news. An old friend didn't know they were that sick with cancer, apparently at death's door, believer, and, and sent the note over to Nancy. This was someone that she was close with over the years. And uh, tragic news, but God is surreal, friends. His promises are surreal. Eternal life is surreal. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead and is with his people, even to the end, that fills me with joy. I'm, I'm mourning with those who mourn. And I think of the terrible loss for family and friends and, and what they're going through. At the same time, in his presence, this fullness of joy. And, and soon enough, the worst of the problems of this world will be over. Soon enough, pain will be gone. Soon enough, there'll be no more crises, no more depression, no more fear, no more loss, no more death. For God's people, only endless joy in the presence of God. Let's rejoice, friends. Lift your heart. He's worthy. May the joy of the Lord be your strength. Another program powered by the Truth Network.